Hello and welcome back to another exciting episode of DSLR Film New Podcast. Uh, full of technical difficulties, lots of problems trying to figure out the new live stream situation that Google is taking Hangouts away from us, which that lovely tool that always works the best for us. I mean, it's awful, but it's not nearly as awful as Skype. So I guess in a way, we're still ahead. We're on the air, I think. Hopefully, we've got Mitch here with us from Planet5D.com. Mitch, it's been a week since we uh, did a show, a week and a half Two weeks, maybe. Two weeks. Two weeks, yes, two yeah. weeks. Uh, what have you, sir, been up to? <sighs> well, DJ, uh, I've been up to the 5D Mark IV. That's what I've been up to. Do you have it in your hands? I do. Nice. Right here. Look at that. Let's see da, this da, da. Oh, that looks... That's, mine's... Uh, I did not cancel my pre-order. Mine will actually be showing up today. See, it actually says 5D Mark IV. Wow. Up there. Yeah. Are, are you blown away by the uh, quality and other phenomenal things about this uh, wonderful camera? Um, I am very excited about it, yes. And guess what? Uh, it's very much like uh, Seattle here. It's been raining for uh, ever since I picked up the camera. Uh, there were about two hours yesterday where it wasn't raining. And I'm like, God, I want to get outside and shoot. Uh, so it's been rather frustrating. So I've been learning menus. Uh, things are a little different. Uh, got a little frustrated because I couldn't figure out how, to, I mean, it, it's so bad, uh, that I actually reset everything last night because I've, I've been through and changed so many settings, just playing with stuff. I was like, I don't know where I am anymore. I don't know what settings are set. So I just went reset and start over which I don't think I've ever done on a Canon camera before. Wow, you, you must have really dug into the menu. And, and what, what did you do to get it so jacked up? I, I, I mean, I, Well, see, I was, I was trying to set just about everything to see what it does. Uh, and what frustrated me, and, 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 and it's probably going to be something I'm embarrassed about later, but I got into uh, shooting video, and you know how the 5D Mark IV has the touch screen with the dual pixel autofocus. Yeah. And it wasn't doing the servo mode, and I couldn't figure out how to turn the servo mode back on so that you can do the autofocus with the touch. I was like, I can't figure out how to get back to it, so I'm just going to reset and start over. <laughs> it was, I'm like, there's got to be one setting somewhere where I just don't understand. And what I've turned off or on, uh, but I'll tell you there. I mean, there's some awesome stuff, and and I don't know whether you want to save it to later. I put some a couple of pictures in the show notes, uh, but I do applaud Canon because you know the My Menu, yeah, actually has multiple tabs on it now. Hooray! What? That's nice. Yeah, so you can have more than just six things or whatever they used to limit you to. Uh, and so you can have multiple tabs like you can have a tab that is just video feature nice so you can basically set it up customize it for whatever you're working on and then have all the things that you need right there available for you yeah no so reasonable normal usability features that uh, we've always wanted but never got yeah like ios oh wait i sorry i can't go there whoa 
All right, so oh. on my end, guys, if you're wondering where where I've been, and I mentioned this about pre-show, but uh, I've basically been out shooting for the last week. Uh, we were working on a project called Blood Model uh, uh, for Prairie Lights Productions uh, about a lady who kills people and paints with their bodies. Uh, very fun shoot. Um, <laughs> five nice. locations uh we had a giant warehouse dolly is all the, the all nine yards but uh it's really screwed up my schedule kept me up till 6 a.m a couple of days in a row and uh, uh we also want to thank i want to thank uh, a few people out there and you know who you are i'm not going to name you because i'll put you on the spot Aww. but uh, the, the somebody donated their mansion to the shoot uh like nice. a, a six thousand square foot uh luxury home in the middle of the country and allowed us to spray blood all over the walls. And oh, really? uh, yeah, we, we had a carpet company come in, they have nice wood floors. So the carpet company laid plastic down over the top of all their wood floors and then installed carpet. And, uh, apparently their drywall in that area has asbestos. So they're going to be removing it. So they oh, were like, my. go ahead and trash the walls. We don't care. Uh, just don't right. hurt the floors. Uh, so that carpet installation, as well as the, uh, plastic underneath of it kept all the wood floors safe and then we just gushed blood everywhere all over everything gosh, it was uh gosh. it was wonderfully fun uh also <laughs> a little messy i still have sticky stuff on my cameras so uh i'll be cleaning that for a couple weeks <laughs> but hey, oh, i, I want to jump back to the 5d mark four by the way who did you order through uh b and h okay good because i've heard i've been watching some of the threads out there and apparently there was some kind of a screw up at Amazon. Really? And they're not actually shipping 5D Mark IVs until next week. I mean, I don't. What? It's sketchy. I don't. It's, you know, I don't. I haven't heard, seen all the details, but I've, a couple of people have said that there's some kind of a mess up with Amazon, and they're not not shipping until next week. So now uh, I, I, are yours is so yours a B and H order as well? Because I mean, you beat me to the camera. No, what I did was I ordered through my local camera store, uh, and I walked in and I picked it up at 9 o'clock. Nice. They actually had them the day before, but Canon wouldn't let me go in and get them. So I I walked in at 9.05 and picked it right up. I got tracked. I have tracking on mine. It's supposed to show up this afternoon, and uh, I'll start messing with it then. I was going to cancel my order, but, uh, you know, you started talking about the camera last time we had a show, and... I was like, man, I want to play with this at the very least before I, I just take a dump on it. So that you know, this this could be a great camera. Yeah, um, I, yeah. The other thing, by the way, uh, speaking of Amazon, and you you have an Amazon affiliate link. You might want to do this. And I I, I have not dug into it, but I have a post that I can share that I saw last night. Apparently, you can get two hundred dollars off of your 5D Mark IV through Amazon, uh, what they do is they issue a, issue, a, you issue you a rebate so that you can get $200 of additional photography gear through Amazon. So it's not like you get to keep the cash or the price is really lower. So you get like a $200 credit, store credit. Uh, but that if you want to order through Amazon, that's apparently available in one of the menus somewhere. Huh, interesting. I would love two hundred dollars in extra kit. That would be great, Amazon. Thank you. I, yeah, yeah, it is nice. All right. Uh, anything All right. else on the five D Mark IV before we get on to the news? 
Well, you, we are going to talk about the stuff that I posted at the end of the show notes, right? Oh, yep. I just saw okay. that. You're, Mitch is on top of, of things today. <laughs> I am not. <laughs> on that note, but guys. We'll, we'll get to that later. All right. I think it's probably time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. Time for the news. First up on the list is actually a new field recorder from our favorite company, Zoom, who continues to crank out more and more kit. Uh, the Zoom F4, which is a smaller version of their eight-channel recorder, is out and about at $650. This thing is capable of recording four tracks with XLR inputs, but it also has the standard mic adapter that goes on to the back of the unit. So you can add an extra two XLR inputs as well as a 3.5 millimeter mix down output. This is going to be a nice little guy for those transitioning from a handheld field recorder to a full-fledged carry around your neck in a bag field recorder uh mitch uh, this thing is 650 dollars. what do you think is this what we need as audio guys filming yes go rush out and buy it use dj's affiliate link and let's make dj rich <laughs> um well i mean it, it's a it's a good step i mean it's especially nice that it's a step in between the mini handheld things and uh, the F8, which has got the eight ports, right? If yeah, eight, I remember right. Eight tracks of recording. Uh, most people don't need that, like unless you're like the official audio guy that's hired to record the movies. So it's a good intermediate step. I think it's a smart move on their part. Uh, I don't didn't see anything that just stands out as great new features. So... They're they're doing what needs to be done, probably filling a niche in the market. So on my end, there's two things I want to note about this. One, if you take a look at the F8, you'll notice that it has a giant colored screen, lots of flashing lights, Wi-Fi, all kinds of crazy stuff built in. And if you've ever seen one of these in the wild, the battery life on it is significantly reduced <laughs> due to... All of the wonderful features that they've added. Now, you'll look at the Zoom F4, and you'll notice that they've scaled back the number of flashies. Uh, the screen is a monochrome screen, similar to what you see on some of their older units. We've got a few light indicators for levels, but not nearly as flashy and as much electrical use on the front of this guy. I'm hoping that that results in better battery life. The other thing to note is that port on the back, which is sort of interesting. Zoom has been uh, doing this with all of their field recorders. And if you look here, if I can actually get the image to actuate, see this little port right here? That is the exact same port that we get on all of uh, Zoom's recorders now. And that will give you the option to not only use two XLR inputs with an optional adapter, but you could strap an actual mic to that if you wanted to and do some recording with it. Those are two interesting things that make this a little bit different uh, from its brethren. Hopefully, battery life will be in the three to four hour range because there's nothing more frustrating than waiting for your audio guy to change out batteries <laughs> on set while you're trying to film. Now, yeah, I Mitch, you have anything else on this before we uh, move on? I just wanted to throw those out there because it, it makes it kind of sexy. Uh, it's not available until November 30th, so you got to wait a little bit. 
pre-order now. And, uh, of course, use the affiliate links. Next thing on the list here is actually some lenses. This week has actually been a huge list of lenses. <laughs> Everybody and their brother is, is introducing lenses. And Sigma is no exception. They have a new set of manual zooms and primes that actually look pretty sexy. Uh, most of these are T1.5. You've got a 20, a 35 millimeter, a 24 millimeter, a 50 millimeter, an 85 millimeter, and then three zooms that are two of which are T2, and that's an 18 to 35 millimeter and a 50 to 100 millimeter, as well as a 24 to 35 millimeter <gasps> T2.2. Holy cow, that's a lot of freaking lenses. Uh, the two zooms alone are very attractive. You could get probably 70% of your shooting done with those. Now, Mitch, what do you think about a, a set of cinema lenses in your kit to begin with? And secondly, what do you think about these lenses in general? They they are bigger, bulkier, full-frame lenses. Do we need these? Well, number one, no cinema guy would ever shoot with a zoom. I've heard that over and over and over. Wait. That is incorrect. <laughs> There's a whole line of Canon cinema zoom lenses that start at 15000 and go up to uh, $6 million. What's the pricing on these? I didn't, I didn't look that up. I couldn't find any pricing listed oh. yet on these lenses, so they're announced, but uh, no word on how much they're they're, they're actually going to cost. Uh, Why would they do that? I think they want to build up buzz, maybe get people excited, uh, about and then it. and then deflate the hell out of you when you go, "Oh crap, it's fifteen thousand dollars." I don't. I can't imagine these are going to hit at fifteen thousand dollars. So I don't know if you've been keeping an eye on what else has been released, but. Uh, uh, I believe Tokina released a, a 35, a 50, and an 85 as well, Cinema Primes. And those are going to be about three to $4,000 a piece. And those are fairly hefty PL mount pieces of kit. Uh, these are EF and uh, FE mount lenses. So I would guess that would put them in a little bit less expensive class, maybe 2000 to $3,000 right. a pop. I don't know. A lot of times when glass gets that expensive, is renting a better option? I would think so, yeah. Uh, especially in situations where you're a low budget. And I don't know, I don't know that many people that have a full kit of cinema zooms or cinema's lenses. I know Barry Anderson does, my good friend Barry Anderson. Uh, he has a full set, I think, of the Zeiss, but... He's also a Zeiss ambassador, so of course he has to. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's the that's the ultimate dream of many filmmakers is have their own cinema lenses, right? So let me ask you, let's play the devil's advocate what if. Uh, you know, the whole DSLR revolution was started because everybody could use their photo lenses on their DSLRs. What why in God's green earth, playing real devil's advocate, would I spend $3,000 on a cinema lens versus a decent photo lens? So there, and I will tell you, I ran into this problem on my last shoot. I brought a set yeah. of Canon Primes with me as well as 
a couple of zooms, actually, because there are several zoom shots in the film that I was working on. Uh, despite people claiming that zooms are never used at all, that is incorrect, <laughs> completely incorrect. Uh, but the issue that we ran into, we had a, a long dolly shot where we needed to both zoom in, zoom out, and pull focus simultaneously uh, right. as the camera is moving from one position to the other. And it's in circles our actors and actresses. Uh, it, it was a great shot, but the issue we ran into is because we didn't have cinema lenses with us, uh, the throw for the focus ring is like a quarter of an inch to half of an inch. So trying to get accurate focus is a matter of just barely moving your hand to change the focus point. And with these cinema lenses, uh, many of them have either a 360-degree throw or, you know, at least a 180-degree throw. And that amount of movement in the focus ring uh, it makes all the difference in the world when trying to get accurate focus. It gives you a lot more time to get to the next focus point and to come back again. And, you know, they have built-in gears so you can hook them up to a, a follow focus and, and do all those things. And because I didn't have that option... I had one guy running the camera uh, behind the camera. I had myself and another guy holding onto the lenses, three of us on the dolly, you know, uh, and this is a doorway dolly, so a very big thing, and then a fourth person pushing us. So one guy is just focusing on on zooming in and out for me. I am focusing on pulling focus via monitor that's facing up, and then the guy in front is checking the audio and uh, starting and stopping the camera. And there's four of us crammed up there doing this when, you know, if I would have had a, a cinema lens, I could have easily uh, pulled focus and probably controlled the zoom without having to have an extra hand on top of the camera. So <laughs> there are good reasons to have it. It's just uh, sure. budgetarily speaking, I would rather spend $1,000 a, a lens as opposed to $3,000 a lens. So my Canon glass kind of wins, right? Right. And and were you able to pull off the shot? We were. It took, uh, in, instead of taking one or two tries, it took seven to <laughs> ten tries roughly. <laughs> A uh, beautiful shot, though. It came out wonderfully um, well worth the effort. But those sorts and, of and, things are a hassle, you know, without cinema glass. Right. And and so thank and thank you for explaining that. I mean, you know, sometimes I play devil's advocate just so that we make sure we educate as well as just talk about the news, because there are people that are listening that don't know all of these things. Uh, it, I think it's obvious that those folks that need those things, if you're on a high budget shoot, spending uh, extra thousand, two thousand dollars on a lens, you know, when you've got six, seven people at high budgets, obviously that makes a big difference. So that's why cinema lenses are so important. So thank you for explaining that. Yeah. Well, even on this shoot, uh, I think my assistants weren't, they weren't getting paid very much, but, uh, 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 above minimum wage, like $15 an hour. So you figure if these guys working for me take an extra, you know, hour to shoot this, uh, you've probably spent several hundred dollars on a group of people standing around trying to get this shot versus, uh, getting it done at a very fast pace. Uh-huh. And, and if you're paying people actual day rates at like 65 or $70 an hour, <laughs> yeah, that adds up quickly. You'll pay for that lens pretty fast. Uh, Let me ask you another quickie question. What's a door dolly? 
a doorway dolly. It's just a very large platform that. So, have you ever seen those push carts, Mitch, that have yes. the big wheels? Uh, imagine right. one of those. Only now you set it onto roller skate wheels, and you have a clickable track, and the clickable track uh, allows it to swivel on the track and move smoothly. And it's big enough that it fills up an entire doorway, and then it has uh, flaps that you can add to it to make the platform even larger. Uh, by the time you're done, if you put all the accessories on there, I think we had uh, about four foot by five foot worth of standing space on the dolly uh, nice. to, to move around. So, and I, I just, I just had you picture pictured a regular door that you were pushing. <laughs> yeah. Now you got me thinking, like, can I find a picture of it really quick? Here we go. Uh, it, it looks more like this here. It's a sort of a cart type of shape. But then, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of pictures. You can scoot around on it, uh, move people around. If you have a smooth floor, you can basically uh, use it without the, the skate attachment. But ours looks pretty much like this gentleman right here. Uh, nice. Able to place a chair on there and run the camera and have people stand off to the side. Uh, you know, you can just call it a regular dolly if you prefer, but uh, doorway dolly, I think, is when you're going to get your rental package, uh, what, ah. they're, what they're called. Does it fit in a doorway? Can uh, you go through a door? If you take the wings off of it, you can just <laughs> barely make it through a door. Uh, we were actually shooting in an abandoned, or not abandoned, an empty warehouse that had been cleaned out for us, and so there were no issues with getting through smaller spaces. Uh, the track, what's really nice is you have like a, a sort of a push cart type of thing on this so I could actually have somebody walk us forward and backward as we're trying to get our shot on the camera, which it, it's only, you know, people always say, well, these are these are too expensive. My shoot can't afford this. You know, to rent that for a weekend was only $200. So, you know, if you guys can scrounge up $200, you can get some very beautiful dolly shots in your production that add tons of value and it's it's not that expensive and if you find somebody who is an owner operator you might even be able to rent it for less if they're not using it it's basically not making any money and some money is better than no money so hit those people up talk to them ask them if they can lend you their dolly for a hundred or two hundred dollars for a long weekend nice. uh, they suck nice. to move though yeah you know you'll need a truck i mean there's a lot of freaking yeah. bits to that Speaking of bits, Mitch, how <laughs> excited are you about Canon's latest bit, the Canon XC15? This camera uh, just announced is the update to the XC10. Uh, we complained about the XC10, or I complained. Mitch defended a bit. Uh, we went back and forth. Uh, the XC10 was a, kind of a weird camera in that it sort of followed a DSL form, DSLR form factor, but had a fixed lens. This one is getting a little bit better. They finally added XLR audio source to it, which makes it a lot more usable and sort of makes this like a uh, weird child of a DSLR and an XF305. Uh, their Nightmare <laughs> Baby came out, and here's what you got, a 28 to 250 millimeter range zoom, a XLR audio input, and, of course, this has the better Kodak uh, 350 megabit per second MXF 422 8-bit Kodak, which is a fancy, fancy H.264 encoding method. Uh, still one-inch CMOS sensor. The specs on this look basically the same as what we saw out of the XC10. What do you think about this camera, Mitch? 
My first thought is that for those of you who are complaining about how lame this is, number one, Canon came out with the second version of that. So we complained, we, those of us on the internet, said that, you know, this was a lame camera. If there wasn't a market for it, they wouldn't come out with the second version. They would just go, okay, that was a mistake. Let's wash our hands of it and put it away. So as much as people complain, and, and, and I, I could go on a 20-minute rant about people complaining this last week on the internet, uh, there's obviously a market for this. Canon does not put out cameras or lenses that don't have a market. Now, it may only be 10,000 people that would be interested in buying this, but they think it's big enough of a market to put out a camera and it fits people's needs may not be your needs. You know, if you're going to go shoot a bloodbath uh, in somebody's mansion, this is obviously not the camera for you, right? So don't bash Canon for putting out a camera that isn't made for you. Quit it. Stop it. <sighs> now, I'm going to go the other direction here, Mitch, and actually defend this camera. Uh, I don't think it's actually a bad idea. The reason I didn't like the XC10 before is because... It wasn't really well thought out. Uh, you know, they they quickly delivered a DSLR style camera with a, a zoom in it. But what they were trying to do, or it felt like they were trying to do, was to come up with a replacement for some of Canon's older, uh, you know, news gathering cameras. Uh, they, the like I mentioned, the XF three hundred five. That one was a great little camera for people who needed a lot of zoom range, who wanted to do some professional stuff, and and didn't really need a lot of interchangeable lens business. This guy at twenty three hundred dollars actually has a good zoom range, has XLR audio inputs, it has four K recording with a good Kodak, and it's in a form factor that is similar to a DSLR, but with at least a mic cradle and audio inputs making it useful that's it and it's $2,300 retail that puts it in the range of a mid-level DSLR without a lens that's actually very affordable that's this offers a ton for that price now is it going to be a low light beast absolutely not it's got a one inch sensor is it going to you know blow your mind with bokeh and out of focus backgrounds no is it going to be great for that guy that's like standing outside and uh, uh, shooting himself talking about the next bake-off at the uh, local cook <laughs> cook center? You know, yes, this is great for that. You know, is this great for the guy that's filming his family? Maybe this is right at the edge of a, a high-end handy cam. Uh, that's that's a lot of features in a camera that's very affordable. I don't think it's bad at all, and I think it does definitely have a market, and it's actually formed. And fully birthed, not like the XC10, <laughs> which was still missing stuff. I do not want to work with a professional camera that has 3.5 millimeter inputs. That's annoying when I'm spending the money for what I would hope would be a camera that will do most of the things. I could see people using this uh, all the time as a B camera or as a news gathering camera. And in the size, it's DSLR form factor again. So very small, very nice. I don't think it's that bad. Honestly, especially at the price. $2,300, that makes sense to me. This camera actually makes sense to me. People, go ahead and start uh, writing angry comments now because uh, I know I probably will earn them. But uh, that's my feeling on this camera is, is it's not that bad. Uh, Mitch, what do you think, Mitch? 
And you're you're absolutely right. You're highlighting exactly what I was trying to say, and that's this is made for a specific market. It's not made for everybody, and that's okay. Now, the one thing that I think would make this even a little bit better, which is maybe coming in the next release, and I was kind of surprised to see that it's not here, is the dual pixel autofocus. Um, and that's probably because this doesn't have a touch screen on it. Uh, is, is, is my understanding. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen anybody say anything about a touch screen. Uh, but a touch screen and, and the dual pixel would make this really nice, you know, like an interview camera for people that are shooting NAB or other kinds of things like that. Uh, you know, you don't need massive cameras in order to shoot those kind of things. You don't need lots of low light. You don't need uh shallow depth of field to do those kind of reporting things and so this would be a very good camera for many of those kind of need i don't know so if they again. could actually fit dual pixel af on here the one inch sensor uh i think this is a one for one pixel scan for 4k so you're probably right if that's the case that you know that's a what about an eight ish megapixel sensor uh, that doesn't leave many extra spaces for a uh, you know an extra pixel to do dual dual pixel AF. True, very true, and maybe it's not feasible. I don't know, but it, that would make it more appealing to me. Like you know, let's say you're doing the booth interview at NAB because that's where I have a you know experience, and you got a guy that wobbles back and forth. It would be nice if it just kind of kept focus for you, but. With a one-inch sensor, your depth of field isn't going to be that narrow anyway, so maybe I'm just blowing smoke. Maybe it's okay. You you set it with a wide angle uh, on the zoom, and you just shoot, right? <laughs> That's absolutely anyway. right. All right. Now that we've discussed the XC15, let's discuss its expensive over – well, I don't want to say overpriced. It's very expensive big brother – the C700. Now, if you guys have been paying attention, the C700 announcement also followed a C500 price drop, uh, a very significant price drop, in in, in fact, down to, uh, I believe, about $10,000 from, what, a, a $30,000 camera previously? Does that sound about, yeah. about right? So yeah. that's a heck of a, a fall-off. Uh, this camera is a $28,000 uh, body designed similar to what we see from camera makers like Red, Airy, and Vericam, uh, as well as the Sony F55. The, these are all super expensive cameras to me, anyway. They're, they're out of my budget. I know, obviously, there are cameras that go even higher than that, but once you get up to the $30,000 range, that is in the rent only category in my budget and this is no <laughs> exception uh you can get this in a pl mount or an ef mount uh, if you like to use your canon glass there's a remote control to go with it as long as, as you don't mind having an extra screen and some other stuff uh, basically mitch i'm looking at this camera and i've looked at some of the competitors this feels a lot like a, a red sort of design where it's modular you got your box and then you add some extra boxes to it to really uh, turn it into a thing. What do you think about this camera? And do you think people are justified in complaining about it? No, <laughs> no. I guess I, I, you shouldn't have asked me that question first. Um, I, I am, I'm very sick of the ranting and I, I, 
I'm ranting about ranting. Okay, I get it. <laughs> a couple of people have said, Mitch, because I've posted a couple of rants lately, and I'm like, yes, I know I'm complaining about the complainers, but I also have asked people to just think about it. Uh, so I, 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 I comment about you know the situation, and I give them an idea for improvement, and that is to just keep your mouth shut. Um, there, again, there's a market for this. There's a high-end group of people that are very dedicated to Canon shooting. Maybe they have the EF lenses. Uh, they want this kind of camera. There's obviously a market for it. Uh, they're competing against Airy. They're competing against Red. It's Is it too little too late? Some people say yes. Some people say no. I think... Again, I think Canon spends a boatload of money on market research. And what happens, and I, I give you the, you, you've heard the old 80-20 analogy, right? That, you know, there's, the money is made on 80% of the market, and there's the 20% that are the outliers that you just don't spend the money on those people, uh, you know, in terms of marketing. And I think what's happening is that Canon's doing a lot of market research, they realize where the money is to be made. They spend the money on, on developing a camera for that, and they market to that. The same thing is true with the 5D Mark IV. People are complaining and complaining and complaining that it doesn't do this, that, and the other thing, and yet Canon's going to sell a boatload of them. They're going to sell a hell of a lot more than Sony's going to sell A7S Mark IIs or A7Rs or whatever. Because Canon's got the bigger hunk of the market share, and they're targeting their cameras at the 80%. If you're in the 20%, you can piss and moan and bitch and complain all you want. But Canon's like, I'm not making this camera for you. Um, and there are different segments. I mean, if, if you think about it, car manufacturers, by the way, let's let's say, you know, there's uh, uh, not uh, Tesla who's making these gorgeous electronic cars that do auto driving and all that other kind of stuff. And people love those features. They admire those features. And then Chevy comes out with a new car that's a third of the price. Do I hear the market complaining like crazy that Chevy could have the auto drive and the electronic stuff and everything in it like the big boy Tesla does? No, they go, oh, that's, that this car is made for those people and they don't piss and moan and bitch all day on the internet. Maybe they do. I'm just not reading the right threads, but what, what people are asking camera manufacturers to do is something that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the camera manufacturers. And I was like, well, okay. And I, I know I've gone off on a rant. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> everybody is saying, well, look, the A7S Mark II is a full-frame sensor, and, and it's got great low-light capabilities. Why couldn't Canon put all that 4K stuff? Why did they have to put this crop factor on the 5D Mark IV? And I say, okay, time out. I'm not an expert on sensor design, but the A7S Mark II is a 12-megapixel sensor. Okay, so they can do 4K full frame out of 12 megapixels fairly easily. The 5D Mark IV is a 30 megapixel sensor. 
can you scan everything on that sensor and do all the processing and get it down to 4K without overheating the sensor, without running out of batteries and everything else? I don't think that you can just do that. Okay, so you got to put things in perspective. And people just don't do that. Well, <clears throat> and, and I'll say one other thing, by the way. Um, well, two other things. Number <laughs> one, <laughs> uh, just so you know, B&H has the five, C500. Uh, the list price is now 10000 but they've got a $3,000 savings. So you can get it for seven grand right now if you want the C500. Holy cow, really? Yeah. How the mighty, uh, so that's, mighty have fallen. Might, might, <laughs> I mean, that's pretty appealing. I mean, the, the camera still makes great pictures, right? Absolutely. I mean, there's, there's, there's movies out there in Hollywood land that are shot on this camera. So that's pretty appealing at 7,000. Um, the other thing that you talked about back on the XC10, by the way, was the Kodak. Uh and there's a lot of complaining about the MJ, motion JPEG on the 5D Mark IV. Yes. Uh, and I, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day who is a codec guy that he's doing a lot of work on the H.265 arena. Uh, and he's like, you know, people are bitching about motion JPEG, but you know what? There isn't any... Uh, there isn't a lot of compression in motion JPEG. There's a little bit in Canon's uh, implementation of it. And so it's fairly easy for them to shove out these images in motion JPEG. And yes, you get a lot of data. And yes, it's a lot more space. But then you can do whatever you want to with it. And it's not all this H.264 compression, which would probably cause the sensor to overheat if you were trying to get all of that off of that sensor. He's like, I think Canon's made a smart move here. Now, I've taken the 5D Mark IV 4K footage into Final Cut 10, and I can, I can do whatever I want to with it. It's not like the old days where I had to convert it to something else. I'm, I'm just able to work with it. I don't have to do a whole bunch of stuff. And yes, it's bigger files, and I, can, I could convert them to ProRes or do something, make them smaller if I wanted to, but... It's not that bad a deal. I mean, it's it's not like it's a pain in the ass that I have to go convert it first. Final Cut just uses it. It works fine. My little my little measly iMac with only sixteen gigabyte gigabytes of RAM, I can process it. It displays. I can I can export it. I can do everything I want to. Okay, I'm done. All right, so let's back up for a second and talk about the C seven hundred. Uh, the camera itself, uh, one of the things to note when you're talking about, uh, uh, Canon kind of going into the 8020 or, or what have you, if you think about what's actually in the C700 and the C500 for that matter, they're 8.8 megapixel sensors that have been used, uh, throughout their C line for quite a while now. And Canon basically has a bunch of parts that they already designed that they're able to just toss into other things and put together. So if you think about the sales price of this camera and then the amount of actual components in there, they could have really just walked around the the engineering floor, picked up a few pieces, uh, put together a camera for two or $3,000, and if they sell a few of these, they're going to make a crap load of money on them. Uh, they don't have to sell a ton of them in order to, to profit, and it's the same thing with the C500 and the C100, 300, all the way through the line. 
these cameras are built on the platforms that they already have with cooling and some other things added to it. Uh, infamously, the, the C100's uh, audible fan that sucks in air from outside uh, and, and goes across the sensor. These are just upgrades to make those products work in the way that film cameras should work. I don't think it's that bad. I don't think it's not. It's going to be for me. I think the C700 is priced in the market that people will spend the money on or rental companies will buy a few of them and Canon will profit from them regardless. Yep. And yep. this will drive the price down to the, the older cameras, which are only a year or two old, so much so that they will actually start to compete with things like the FS5 from Sony and the FS7 uh, before the those cameras were kind of by themselves. And I haven't seen Canon say they're going to discontinue the C500. No, which means I, yeah. that they've they've milked that camera for as much money as they could get at the higher price, and now they've moved it down to a lower price of seven thousand dollars, which puts it into the com- <laughs> a competing range of these other cameras that everybody was really excited about. So, you yeah. know, uh, Canon is pretty clever in that respect, and uh, they're continuing to keep uh, making these cameras and, and getting more money out of them, even if their margins start to shrink. Uh, you know, maybe next year we'll see a C700 Mark II, and that one will be devalued to ten thousand dollars to compete with the uh, even more cameras. Great, the Red Raven will be on the chopping block as uh the c700 mark ii comes down the line and the 700 mark one competes as far as the 5d mark IV goes you mentioned the sensor readout now if you're familiar with the a7 line of cameras you'll note that the a7s mark ii full frame readout for 4k footage is one of the better options out of the group if you go to the a7r which is r for resolution uh generally people recommend that you crop for 4k and that is actually what you were talking about mitch the readout for the sensor it's not on the sensor side it's on the processor side uh rendering all that stuff but that's a lot of work for it to try to downscale. And on top of that, because of the pixel bending and the other things that are happening, you don't get as good of a 4K image. Now, with the 5D Mark IV, could they have could they have done that anyway? Yes. Yes, likely they could have. Uh, did they want to? No, obviously not. They have cameras that are above that price range that they don't want to compete with. Uh, am I excited about the crop factor going back to uh, APS-C? Not extremely. Did I not cancel my order? I did not. Am I going to deal with uh, a motion JPEG? I probably am. Um, is that something to complain about? Well, honestly, to me, storage is is an issue. Uh, sure. In, in the long term, I will transcode into some other uh, format, whether it be uh, ProRes or H.264 uh, or, you know, whatever else. Um, I, I don't know how painful that is for most people but if you are shooting longer format stuff prepare yourself with lots of memory cards i don't like motion jpeg i've complained about it before but it's not that big of a deal if you can afford to buy media for it Uh, i don't really want to continue to drag on with this so i'll just say i i ended up getting it i've it's coming today i will play around with it and uh i will determine by the end of the week whether the 5d mark for is for me the c700 is definitely not for this guy right here and uh, <laughs> remember people when you're complaining about cameras know which portion of the market you occupy because 
if you do not have five or six people working for you and oodles of expensive glass and a very large production with lots of budget to go behind it, you're probably not going to need a twenty to $30,000 camera in your collection. Uh, if you're an individual shooter like myself or you shoot uh, some indie projects also like myself, a mid-range camera, three to $5,000 or a DSLR will most likely get you through the day. And if you need to go higher end than that, you rent. Uh, on the occasional projects I work on where they require a nicer camera, more expensive camera, I will rent a red package and shoot with that. And when I do that, I also pay for other people to come with me <laughs> to help me run the camera because that is not a camera you just run by yourself. Uh, right. But who's got time? Who's got money for that? I, you know, I don't have that many shoots that are like that. I'm guessing most of you don't either. And if you do, well, congratulations because you probably make more money than I do. So good job. You know, otherwise, you know, this is just ignore it. Pretend like it doesn't even exist. I mean, I don't hear people up in arms complaining about the Airy Mini that's a $30,000 camera. You know, exactly. Why? Where's the hate there? There isn't any because Amen. guess what? That's a camera that's not for you what really uh same with the fs 55 and all the other uh, expensive cameras just deal with it folks canon is going to be canon and you cannot tell them what to do and they don't care if you do because they're not going to listen the japanese owners will do whatever the heck they want and we will just get what they give us it sucks but that's how the world works (laughs) moving on let me let me make an interesting point there by the way uh it's Japanese ownership. I saw somebody post the other day, and I don't – it's one person's comments because I don't know the market. But somebody who lives in Japan said, by the way, Japanese, the Oriental market, doesn't care about mirrorless. And I had never heard that before. He said, if you go around Japan, you will find very few people, very few stores – that have a large market with mirrorless stuff. People in Japan still love DSLRs. And I only say that, and it's just one person's comment, but I only say that because you just mentioned, by the way, that Canon Japan is the one that's pulling the strings. And I wonder if there isn't something to that in that Canon hasn't come out with a fancy mirrorless competitor to the A7S or something like that. It's just a offhand comment. I don't know whether it's true or not. I'm just throwing it out there. No, actually, you are completely right, Mitch. Um, I don't know if you remember early this year, I was in Singapore for the Special Olympics and uh, right? and Taiwan. I saw almost all across the board Nikon Canon shooters. I uh, did not see very many Sony cameras. I uh, didn't see a ton of Panasonic in the wild, but I saw a lot of Canon and Nikon. And I mean, uh, people weren't, weren't even taking pictures with them. A lot of people were just wearing them as a decorative <laughs> attire. You know, uh, look at this uh, Nikon camera I'm carrying around with me. I have cash flow. Uh, deal with it. So I, I think you're right. I, I, that is the thing. And if you go in Singapore specifically, if you go around to the sales areas where they have all these booths and little uh, shops and so on, uh, you walk in there and ask for Sony lenses and they'll go clear to the back and have like a little tiny shelf about this big, you know, for mirrorless <laughs> stuff. And, and, and the rest of it's all, you know, Canon, Nikon, big, giant, triumphant lenses and, and so on. Uh, it's just <laughs> how they are. And 
that's fine. As a photographer, I, I will say shooting on a mirrored camera has much more satisfaction to me than a mirrorless. Uh, you go pick up a Canon camera and you get that triumphant every time you fire the trigger. That just makes me feel like I'm doing something when I'm using my A7S and it actually has to use a speaker to audibly play the click for me <laughs> to make me feel as though I'm taking a picture. Uh, that is not nearly as satisfying. So just food for thought there. I could be wrong, but I don't think I am. No. Here, listen. Oh, that is sexy. Yeah. There you go. All right. <laughs> that ramble went on quite quite long, so we've got a few other things to cover. Let's talk quickly about some Zeiss lenses. I mean, uh, the Melvis. Smooth. Okay, sorry. Melvis lenses. I don't know. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, they released uh, three more lenses to go in their lineup, the 15mm f2.8, the 18mm f2.8, and the 135mm f2. Uh, these lenses are $2,699, $2,299, and $2,199, respectively. Very expensive, nice. almost to the price of cine glass, and uh, they are electronic aperture controlled manual focus lenses. So yeah, that's Zeiss for you. Yet another uh, release of lenses that I will probably never purchase. Uh, EF and F mount available right now. Uh, I don't know if any of these will be coming to uh, FE, which is the Sony. Uh, mount for, for full frame so keep an eye out for those if you really want them uh they've also got a, a huge number of other lenses available this though is something i'm excited about mitch did you have any comments on the zeiss lenses i heard the snooze comment so i was just gonna roll oh, past I, you i i i say snooze zeiss puts out great products do not get me wrong i'm not and and yes they have been a sponsor in the past but i know people lust over zeiss uh, the thing that I said snooze about was Zach. I, I don't understand why they don't do some autofocus stuff, but that's because I'm a photographer slash filmmaker. I like to do both, and I I just like autofocus. Well, Sorry. it's a little surprising that uh, a 15 and an 18. I mean, those focal lengths are so close together. Yeah, it, it, I don't know. I maybe I just don't understand the market of of Zeiss photographers slash filmmakers. Uh, it's it's a little weird. Uh, Unless okay. there's is there some kind of optical difference? Um, I, you know, both of them 10 have degrees difference. Barrel, um, just, barrel yeah. distortion correction. Um, I know that the 15 millimeter F2.8, the optics design does take a few more pieces of glass. Uh, so th there may be some issues uh, between the 18 and the 15 where you might get a slightly better image out of the 18. Uh, and yeah. the extra glass represents the price difference between the two. That's... Well, the, but the in reading a thing, the 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 eighteen says it's uh, hundred degrees angle of view. This lens is ideal companion for landscape and architectural photography. Uh, it's also I find it interesting that the the eighteen is a seventy seven millimeter diameter for filters. And the 15 is a 95 millimeter, so that's quite a difference. In the, yeah. Anyway, I'm sure they're awesome lenses. They're Again, they're not in my market, so I won't be buying them like you. But I know, I know Zeiss makes great stuff. So let's move on. 
All right, next thing on the list here, um, this is something we actually talked about about two or three months ago. I brought this into the show notes again because uh, I wanted to refresh you guys on it. I mentioned the last time we talked about this camera that it was only available in Japan, and this is the Sony X3000R, which is a 4K action cam. Yes, I know, sigh, action cam, grown action cam, another action cam, great. (laughs) But the key thing here is actually that this is one of the first action cams to feature internal optical stabilization. None of this digital stabilization business where it's actually uh, just moving around on the sensor. This guy literally has... Uh, a full set of controls just like some of the more expensive uh, Sony cameras that moves the sensor around in order to image stabilize. Now, this action cam, and they do actually warn you in their press relief that uh, vibration from vehicles uh, will cause a lot of problems with that system because it's not able to keep up. But for people running around, jumping, whatever, uh, the footage that was released when the original was announced in in the Japanese market, it it looks phenomenal. It's really good at image stabilization. Uh, The 4K sensor in here is the same sensor you see across the board in action cams today. And Sony has new Zeiss glass in front of it. This also has a 3.5 millimeter input for audio, which gives you full-fledged audio for your action camera. And for a price of $450, it also includes a cute little wristwatch remote, uh, as well as the ability to, of course, run this via your phone or what have you. Uh, The other sweet thing about this little guy is the fact that it has a 100 megabit codec at XAVC, so that is pretty much the same thing we see in the A7S Mark II. So image stabilization, one, good codec, two, uh, excellent audio options for an action cam, three, and a James Bond-style watch to wear on your wrist to see what the heck is going on next to your forehead where you've strapped this camera uh, in case your eyes do not work. Uh, excellent camera for the price, it seems, uh, in the past, Sony has been neck and neck with GoPro as far as image quality goes, and now 4K image stabilization in camera. This is actually, and maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is actually an exciting action camera and uh, <laughs> sets the stage for GoPro to either fail or be triumphant in their next release. Mitch, now that I've rambled on for this, what, four minutes, tell me, do you think of anything when you see this? Do you like it? Do you hate it? Do you think it's dumb? Well, what do you think? It's only two and a half minutes, by the way. Ah. Um, so is the live view remote the wristwatch? Uh, yes, it's. Uh, yes. you can use it as a remote. So that's $450. No, $550 for the the live view remote, which is kind of disappointing. I mean, that's more expensive than the camera. No, no. Okay, it's $300 for the camera by itself. There's two flavors of this. Oh, there's it's the, a kit. There's I'm sorry, the AS3000 and the AX3000. Uh, the difference uh, comes out in the frame rates at uh, 1080p versus uh, one of them does 120 frames per second at 1080, and the other one does 120 frames per second at 720. But otherwise, they're fairly identical. The base model camera is 400 and 300 respectively for the two different types and then an extra $50 so 450 or 500 uh, depending on which one you get to get the uh, wrist remote with that now no you know time out time out it's it's the x3000 is $400 us and with the the live remote it's 550 so it's 150 bucks yes yes thank you 
You said 50 bucks. Oh, yeah, so yeah. I want to make sure that's right. Anyway. So <laughs> now I'm okay. Uh, so 550 and 450 respectively. Is that that's what we're agreeing on? Right. Okay. So $550 for the slightly fancier camera, $450 for the less expensive uh, version. You can get it without the wristwatch. Are you going to wear this wristwatch around and like keep this on your dog or something? You know, what are you going to do with it? <laughs> no. No, but it, it's, I mean, I sent you an article that uh, I, I, I think you read. You said you were going to read it uh, about uh, the growing market in action cam. Here it is right here. It's in the show notes linked underneath. Nice. Uh, Look at that. Which uh, is kind of strange. Um, do you, you want to quote this article for us, Mitch? Quote it? I'm sorry. I don't even have it open yet. Uh, oh, sweet. Pre-roll ads. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for that financial... Oh, man. I just think it's it's fascinating that, you know, I, and it goes back to what I said before. Uh, there are definite markets for all of these products. Otherwise, they wouldn't be produced. I mean, somebody asked me the other day uh, about spam. So, well, why would anybody click on a spam ad for Viagra or, you know, something like that? I said, look... If it wasn't working, people wouldn't be sending out all that spam. They're not going to go through all the trouble to do it just because it's fun. There's obviously a market. People are actually clicking on those silly spam art ads that you get in your emails. So same thing true here. This article talks about the fact that the market is growing uh, and they expect it to tr- what was it, triple in the next three or four years? So Something crazy. According to analysts, they believe that uh, between now and 2021, we will go from a penetration of 7.4 million to about 24 million action cams uh, during that time, which is, what, uh, basically 4X-ish, three. 3X-ish. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's that's a substantial amount of action cams flooding the market. Uh, yeah. At this at this point, I guess uh, we've talked about this before: cell phones versus action cams. I still see people who have very nice cell phones that lust after a GoPro. Uh, they don't even really know what they need it for. When you ask them, like, "Well, what are you going to do with this?" They but they want one, and right. maybe this lifestyle drive for if you own an action cam, you will then be jumping off of cliffs and flying out of airplanes and. Skating <laughs> down incredible cliffs and doing all these other extreme things uh, is enough to continue the market forward, uh, or the the fact that people don't want to risk their cell phone. Maybe maybe right. that's it, and I'm just missing it. But uh, right. what are people doing with these? I see a lot of people that just record stuff all the time and then don't do anything with their footage at all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, dash cams is certainly something that, uh, and and now you can get a bunch of different cell phone apps you just mount your your cell phone on your dashboard but anyway <laughs> all right so action cam it's there uh it's sexy it'll probably be Woo-hoo! as good or better than a gopro and image stabilization all sexy things now yeah let's man we're going a little bit long but i still want to talk about the really? eos 5d mark IV. mitch what you've got this in your hand uh i see in the show notes here you've You've placed some pictures of the 5D Mark II, 5D Mark III, and 5D Mark IV of this carpet. 
Uh, Earthen's fashion <laughs> floor is nice. Well, what, tell me so, about these. So, well, one of the, what I did when I picked up my 5D Mark IV from Schiller's uh, camera here in St. Louis, cha-ching, uh, is that they have lent me uh, two 24-105s. So I have in my possession, still in my uh, bag, a 5D Mark II, a 5D Mark III, and now I have a 5D Mark IV. So I, I have three 24 to 105 lenses. So what I am doing is uh, I've seen uh, video after video, and you can see gobs of people out there right now demonstrating how beautiful 5D Mark IV footage is or you know whatever camera. It, and it always frustrates me because I still feel like a newbie and I or a noob, whichever way you want to say it. And I want to see... Somebody show me, okay, this is what the old camera looked like, and this is what the new camera looks like with the same freaking scene, with the same freaking lenses. And so the only thing that's really different is the body itself. And so that's what I'm doing is I'm taking those three cameras and I'm shooting video and still side by side for the next couple of days. And so one of the things that I had done, I, I did the same thing with the 6D when it came out. Uh, I, but that was comparing the 6D against 5D Mark II and the 5D Mark III. So they were different market kind of things. But anyway, so what I've just done in the show notes is, and DJ's kind of showing it in an over video, it's not going to show up very well at all. And of course, I plan to put out a video demonstrating this, but I wanted to see what the more differences were between the 5D Mark II and the 5D Mark III and the 5D Mark IV, because everybody always wants to know. How different is the is is the five D Mark IV handling more better or worse? And and what do you think the answer is? I know you've looked at these images. I'm just staring at them right now, and it, it sort of seems like there's more more in the five D Mark IV than the two. And, that, and why would that be? Uh, well, you got more pixel sights, so it's right. Uh, obviously, it's going to get worse. You know, what's the five yeah. D Mark II? I, I don't remember what the pixel count is on uh, that guy. Uh, the five D Mark II was. 12 if i'm not mistaken so yeah i mean there's your problem no. right there 18 i think yeah. maybe i don't know it, it's no, less seven, than 30 70 yeah it, it <laughs> was it was less than the 5d mark 3 and it was <laughs> but yeah i i was i'm pretty surprised the amount of moray in the 5d mark 4 and this building that's right across from schiller's is the is the one that i'm showing in in these screen grabs uh it's it's not it's not as good as as really in the 5D Mark II or the 5D Mark III. Uh, so it, I'm just trying to set an expectation. I didn't expect it to be any better. Uh, I kind of was hoping it would be on par with the 5D Mark III, but I think they specifically tuned the 5D Mark III uh, to to reduce Moray because that was the major complaint of people about the 5D Mark II, and not the major complaint one of the complaints uh and but if you if you look at them and obviously when you see them full screen it's a little bit different than than what you see over this video i'm sure and and even in the show notes uh, what you can see though between the 5d mark 3 and the 5d mark 4 if you look at like the lettering on the california custom decks or the sign the carpet sign uh the sharpness is much 
much, the 5D Mark IV is much sharper than the 5D Mark III was. Yeah, the letter details are, are very crisp on the carpet sign on the 5D Mark IV, and I'm looking at the other one right now, and it's a, 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 the A and the F start to sort of wash out a little bit into the sign. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I think we kind of expected that, but a lot of people were complaining, <gasps> people complaining, I know, uh, about the fact that this has an AA filter in it. Uh, you know, you and I talked about that uh, last time we talked before the camera came out. Uh, and the 5D Mark III was soft in many people's expectations for video. And I think the 5D Mark IV, based on what I've seen, and I've only been able to get out and shoot without rain uh, for like an hour and a half yesterday, uh, I still got some more shooting to do. But it, it looks like it's sharper, but you sacrifice uh, by having more A and things like bricks and stuff like that. So that's... Huh. So what is the more you know now that they're doing pixel for pixel 4k is the the more uh, not a problem in video mode I haven't and I, and I apologize I did not shoot video or 4k video at that location and I was like when I left I was like holy crap I didn't shoot any 4k uh, it started raining when I was shooting that and I was like I didn't want because they had lent me the lenses I didn't want them to get sopping wet and so I ended up leaving, but I'll I'll go back and shoot that in 4K. Uh, we'll we'll look at that. Obviously, the the crop is going to make it. I mean that that isn't even the full frame. The images that I posted there, that's just a relatively same size screen grab off of uh, Final Cut 10. Now I have to ask anyway. you, Mitch are Are you really is is the the high megapixel count really something that you wanted? Is that is that something that you're even excited about? Because to me, 18 and above, it becomes superfluous. I don't really need more pixels than that. Is this something that's going to affect you and make you happier as a photographer? I think so, yes. Um, I have started, uh, my daughter, I've talked about my daughter shooting, is shooting, is uh, in the color guard at her college now. And I am going in and shooting for uh for them and unfortunately i can't get right up in the middle of the field while they're performing and so i will be on the sidelines and i also don't have a uh what 400 millimeter or 600 millimeter can and those those things that are like ten thousand dollar lenses um i don't have any of those so for me right now in, in this particular job, if I can shoot uh, kids and I, if I can photograph kids out on the field and, and be able to do some cropping and still have high megapixel results, that's kind of appealing to me, yes. This is what you need right here, Mitch. You need to go micro four thirds. <laughs> and you need to get the 40 to 150 with the 1.4x, and this will give you equivalent to about a almost 500 millimeter reach. Nice. At 16 megapixels, so you could literally fill the frame with your daughter's head. <laughs> and uh, you know, you maybe you, this is all you're not going to do this, but no, it, I'm not. This lens is only like eight eight hundred to a thousand dollars. Totally worth it for that sort of thing. Um, and one of the things that makes Micro Four Thirds Great. 
as a camera option. Well, I, I've actually thought about going and getting like the 1.4 extender from Canon um, to, to, to shoot some of this stuff because I, I just can't get close enough. My problem is, and this is my problem, is that I like the portrait aspect of it. I like to get individual kids uh, while they're performing with their instruments you know, so they're band kids and there's the color guards. I mean, I can shoot a wide angle just like anybody else can of the entire group. But that's that's not what appeals to me. I want to see the kids and their facial expressions and how they're performing. Uh, so I need to, to get up closer. Uh, I do have a field pass so I can get up to the sidelines, but obviously I can't walk out in the middle of the field and shoot because <laughs> the fans would be like, who the hell is that guy out there? Why is he out there? So... But so in that aspect, I'm hoping that the extra megapixels give me some cropping improvement. Uh, and that's that's the only reason I'm excited about the 30 megapixels. Yeah, I I don't know. I find myself uh, only needing 16 or so most of the time uh, for stills. I don't do much in the yeah. way of cropping in. Uh, right. When they tell me, you know, people that buy the A7R will go on and on about the uh, amount of resolution in the 5DS. Uh, uh-huh. What the heck are you doing that you need that? And, uh, there are specific excuses. And uh, same with medium right. format, there are definitely some excuses as to why you would need that. I'm not right. denigrating those folks. Uh, I just want right. to say, for most people, probably 80% of us, more pixels does not equal more better. And That's it does right. equal more more A, apparently. That's a lot of mores in there. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, that there are people that are going to complain about all those different things. And, and again, if it's not... The care if the camera's not for you, then don't buy it and do us all a favor and just say I'm not going to talk about it and and bash Canon for being so archaic and slow. They're selling a boatload of cameras. They know what they're doing and they don't really need you bitching about it. <laughs> um, I will say by the way, uh, Tony Northrup, who I know and I like. Uh, has done a video about dual pixel raw. And I've only, I, I see the sun starting to come out. I'm getting excited. Uh, he just absolutely slams dual pixel raw up and down. And, and uh, I don't, I think his video was a little early. I think it needs to be analyzed a little bit more because I have seen so we're talking about dual pixel raw in the ability to change focus. And I obviously can't do it on this hangout with the horrible resolution that I'm uploading with. Uh, but I have done just briefly a couple of photos when I turned dual pixel raw on. I was I was sitting in the car while it was raining yesterday looking at some flowers that were several centimeters apart. And I, and I shot dual pixel on them, and inside DPP, I can see a difference when you say shift to the front and shift to the back in terms of the focus. It's visible. Uh, there's a guy, uh, and I did a post on it uh, the other day on Planet 5D, that, that has you know, the, the charts, the, the ruler thing that you can photograph to set micro focus. Yes. Where, you know, and it's at an angle and all that kind of stuff. 
he shot with lenses from 100 millimeters to 600 millimeters. And in the 100 to 400 range, there was quite a significant difference between the front focus and the back focus. And so maybe, and, and Canon actually has posted some recommendations for dual pixel raw and it's it's probably not effective under 85 millimeters so if you're shooting with a 50 millimeter or you know wide angle of some kind just forget it don't even bother trying but in some of the longer lenses it appears to make a difference and what i'm really kind of saying is don't just wash it out completely yet it's a pain in the butt kiss because you got to use dual pixel. I mean, you got to use DPP in order to process it. It's slow. I mean, my gosh, it takes like 10, 15 seconds to load an image and then to turn the adjustments on. Uh, so it's, it's new technology. It may be not for everybody. And I'm certainly not going to shoot a hundred frames with it and then try to go in and analyze each one of them. Uh, so maybe it's not good in every scenario, but, don't just wipe it off the board yet. Anyway. <laughs> well, at 400 uh, millimeters, I mean, even though the pixel sites are very c close to each other, uh, that's still a, a significant focus change for the lens. I mean, that, that does yeah. make sense. At 24, uh, <laughs> you know, you may be yeah. wasting your time. Uh, and I think that's right. kind of what, you, what you're saying, right? Is that basically any of the wider angles until you start to get into telephoto, it's not really that big of a benefit. Right. Absolutely. And so, you know, it's new technology. We'll have to see if it's useful. I, I don't know whether something like Lightroom is going to be able to analyze that. Uh, and that's another room for improvement that I whined on Planet 5D about yesterday is the fact that camera comes out and we still don't have adobe raw we don't have you know ios or not ios mac os can't read these new raw images this this has been going on for how many years now 20 years since we started <laughs> this i don't understand why the manufacturers and it's not just canon why they can't several weeks to a month i mean it, i they've locked down this format some time ago, in order to be able to produce a CD that I can get in a box when my camera ships to my door, that raw uh, file structure has been determined at least a month ago, if not longer. Why they can't send those to Adobe and, and Apple and, and all of the vendors and say, hey, here's an early copy. Why, don't, why, did, why do they have to wait and, and, and figure it out? starting day one i don't understand this because it's frustrating jerks. they're a bunch of jerks i mean it would make more it would make so much sense for them to just ship this off to adobe's because adobe is going to do it anyway right it's not like they're not going to figure out what the file structure is and be able to read those files they want adobe to do that so why don't they do it early enough that those guys can just issue updates on the day the camera comes out Sorry. Uh, maybe it's a, it's a leak control issue. Maybe they don't want uh, <laughs> certain information sneaking out before they control it with the press. Oh my. Oh. I, but you're absolutely right. That is, that is something that's very frustrating. You get a new camera, and then you go to Lightroom or whatever photo processing app you normally use, and you're like, wait a minute. How do, how do I – how do I do this? And then it's a it's a good month to two month lag before everything yeah. catches up. 
and it's especially frustrating if you you know something like the Panasonic GH4, uh, the included software is bunk. It's crap. It's the worst, and I do not ever want to see it again on my computer. And uh, you know, waiting that time, you're basically collecting photos without being able to use them or shooting yep. uh, RAW plus JPEG and doing it that manner, which is also very uh-huh. frustrating. Uh, exactly it's it is stupid mitch and you're absolutely right i i agree 100 percent. down with canon up with lightroom i didn't say that no. i didn't say that at all uh, i just uh, it just doesn't make any sense for for a consumer organization but I, I was even wanting you know a couple of people uploaded canon raw images from their pro preview cameras you know like uh, DP Review had early CR2s. Can anybody read them? Well, why doesn't Canon just put out the download of uh, DPP early? Oh, no, they've got to wait until the day it's released. So so what, the update for the for DPP wasn't out and available at the time to cover this camera? Is that what you're saying? If, yeah. I mean, if you purchase, if they had, sh- if they shipped you a camera... You could use DPP because it was in the box. But if you went to Canon's support website where you download the online versions, it's not available. It wasn't available even yesterday, hmm. even though the camera is released. I had to use my dig out my old portable CD drive <laughs> to be able to install the dadgum software. And it's just it doesn't make any sense. Oh, I mean, this is from a company that uh, it took, what, almost 10 years before they finally allowed you to even get a copy of DPP legitimately from their website, which is a device that's only capable of working with Canon products that you own or have to own in order to use. Uh, yeah. That's ridiculous. I used to I've, share ISOs of the freaking software for people because they couldn't, you know, they couldn't get a hold of it in real life. It's ridiculous. I, I and I agree with you there because I saw a couple of people posting that. Well, I was able to use my serial number from an older camera in order to download it. I'm like, what? Wait a minute. <laughs> Why isn't it just available for anybody? Anybody to use? I don't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nope, you're right. It's, it's it's. I'm not just complaining. I'm offering Canon and Nikon and Sony the opportunity to improve the customer experience. That's all it is, is improved experience for the consumer. I mean, it's obvious. Anyway. (sighs) All right. Last thing on the list before we get out of here. And this is just a giveaway, guys. Mitch. What? Just a giveaway. Just a giveaway. We're, you know, um, uh, thanks to uh, our sponsor, (laughs) Planet5D.com, who (laughs) offers up giveaways. Mitch, tell us about what's on the docket this week. Uh, This is the third giveaway we've done with Syrup. Uh, the motion control guys from Australia, really nice bunch of people. If you're interested in getting uh, one of three products that they're offering, the first prize is the Genie Pan Track Kit, which has a whole bunch of different products. Then the second prize is the Magic Carpet Epic Kit. And the third prize is the Magic Carpet Short Track. So if you go to planet5d.com slash giveaway noob, N-O-O-B, then you can enter... Um, via DJ's link, planet5d.com slash giveaway noob to find that giveaway. It's good until the 17th when we shut it all down. 
Awesome. And uh, prepare, guys, uh, yourself for uh, some more hiccups in the show as uh, Hangouts uh, transitions from uh, the regular Google Plus format to YouTube, which uh, we will be probably messing up at least three or four more times before we get it right. <laughs> yeah, so we go to, we go, DJ goes there this morning and he says, oh, and as of next week, we're turning off Google Hangouts on Google Plus. What? Thanks oh. for the long notice. Man, what a mess. This morning we were trying to bring Mitch in via Skype, so you may have seen a false starts on the broadcast uh, pop up and disappear. Uh, that was an attempt to live stream straight from XSplit, which we may have to do in the future, but uh, those technical hurdles are down the road. For now, uh, we'll try to do it this way. But uh, <laughs> thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Mitch, where can people find you? I'm at a website called planet5d.com. And you can also go to planetmitch.com if you want to see some of my photos from the Color Guard band. They're out there, by the way. Um, all shot with 5D Mark III. And coming this weekend is brand new shots with 5D Mark IV. All the megapixels in the world pumped into a <laughs> single sensor. <laughs> 30 that's uh that's a lot uh on my that's end guys you can find me on twitter at dslr film noob you can find me online at dslrfilmnoob.com and one lone jork youtube channel as well as many other places where fine podcasts are distributed you can check this show out on soundcloud itunes anything i just said that so i'm gonna get out of here uh <laughs> thanks for listening thanks for watching and we'll see you next time on another episode of dslr film noob podcast podcast, podcast.